Do you realize how incredibly blessed we are to be in a church where we can sing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here? That is so awesome. I don't know if anybody has ever been in a church where you felt like the Holy Spirit was not welcome. I have. And it's hard to be in a church like that, especially if you're the pastor. But I'm so glad I'm here now. We are in the midst of a series, middle of a series called On the Move. And I am grateful to be able to be up here and to be able to share about one of my favorite subjects in the whole Bible, which is the Holy Spirit. And so our topic is the Holy Spirit on the move. And today it's about the Holy Spirit on the move, liberating. Last week we heard from Pastor Megan and we heard how the Holy Spirit was unifying the hearts of the disciples. They were in the midst of a very difficult uh, decision and issue that was going on. Some of the Jewish believers thought that all the Gentile believers should be circumcised in order to be saved. And a lot of deliberation went on between the apostles and the leaders of the church there. And they decided, praise the Lord, thank goodness, that no, we are saved by grace through faith alone in the Lord Jesus. We can be so thankful they made that right decision. Today in Acts 16, we are looking at the Holy Spirit on the move again, this time liberating. And uh, Acts 16 is full and full of examples of the Spirit of God liberating people in many different ways. Paul is on his second missionary journey, and this time he has a different team with him. He has Silas, Timothy, and Dr. Luke again. And uh, Paul, as they are trying to figure out where they're going to go and the Spirit is directing them, Paul has a vision and receives a picture of a man from Macedonia, which is present-day Greece, calling them over to come, beckoning them to come and help them. And so Paul and the team wind up in a place called Philippi, a Roman colony, Philippi. And of course, many of us know of Philippi because we've read and we've studied and we love this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. It's one of the most adored letters in the entire New Testament. When Paul arrives in Philippi, he goes down on the Sabbath to the river, to the place of prayer, and one of the first people he meets is a woman named Lydia. Lydia is a businesswoman. She's a convert to Judaism, and she's a a God-fearer. She has a heart for God. And so when Paul shares the good news of the gospel, she immediately comes to Christ She and all of her family, her household, are baptized, and she invites Paul and the whole team back to her home. Very hospitable. On another occasion in Acts 16 in Philippi, we read that Paul and Silas are again down at this place of prayer, and they come to meet a slave girl. And this slave girl is possessed of a spirit, a spirit which has the ability to predict the future. And she is following Paul and Silas and the rest of the team around wherever they go. And everywhere they go, she's saying, listen to these men. They're from the Lord Most High. Listen to what they say, for you will be saved. And she says this over and over again, kind of like a drone. And it eventually just just, just drives Paul crazy. So Paul turns to her and he says, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And immediately the Spirit leaves. So again, we see the Spirit liberating First Lydia, then the slave girl. And of course, not everybody is happy that the fact that this slave girl has been liberated. In fact, the owners of this slave girl are very unhappy because their source of income has been taken away. So they stir up 
a crowd who takes Paul and Silas to the marketplace. They come before the magistrates where they are stripped, beaten, and severely flogged and then thrown into local jail as an example. And this is where I'd like to tell you the rest of the story in Acts 16 this morning. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners in the jail were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all of the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw all the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cries out, no, wait, do not harm yourself. We are all still here. The jailer turns on the lights, he rushes in, and he falls to the feet of Paul and Silas. And then he leads them out and he says, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus, you and your household, and you will be saved. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others who were in his house. And immediately at that hour of the night, the jailer washed the wounds of Paul and Silas. And immediately they were baptized, the jailer and his whole family. And he brought them into his house and he set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. This is the word of the Lord. I'd like to make three observations this morning about how the Spirit liberates us. First of all, the Spirit liberates through worship and praise. In verse 25, we read this morning, at midnight or around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns to God. Oh my gosh, you might think to yourself, at midnight, what, why were Paul and Silas awake? I'm not awake at midnight, that's for sure. But the reality was Paul and Silas were probably in enormous pain. The truth of it is that they had been stripped, they had been beaten, they had been severely flogged with wooden flogs, wooden rods. And then to top that off, they were thrown in jail and they were put in stocks, which meant that their ankles and their legs were bound and they couldn't move and they were probably experiencing severe cramping. So they were probably awake in the middle of the night because they were in extraordinary pain. And yet despite their circumstances, the Spirit liberated Paul and Silas to pray and to worship God. What an amazing witness that was. They could have been just writhing in agony. They could have been complaining or cursing the people that had brutalized them and thrown them into prison. But instead, they were praying and they were worshiping God. And I couldn't help but think, as I reflected on this passage this week, I couldn't help but think of the Philippian letter that some of us, many of us are very familiar with, and how that, that, pris, that prison experience must have shaped Paul's letter, one of the most powerful letters in the entire New Testament, 
When Paul says in chapter 4, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is good, whatever is honorable, whatever is worthy of praise, think on these things. Whatever you have heard or seen that I've done, put into practice in your own lives, and the God of peace will be with you. The Spirit liberates through worship. The Spirit liberates also through the hearing of the Word of God. It says in verse 25, at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, and they were worshiping the Lord, and it says, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, I don't know about you, but why were the prisoners listening to them? I would think they'd either be asleep or they might be shouting, Hey, you guys, shut up! Stop making all this noise! But you know, they didn't say that. And they didn't say that because I believe they were, they were absolutely captured and in... Uh, in, ha- in I forget what the word I'm looking for here. They were captivated. They were captivated by the message that Paul and Silas were saying through prayer and through worship. It made me think this week that when there's a church that welcomes the Holy Spirit and where there are people whose hearts are full of the Holy Spirit and worshiping God genuinely, passionately, that is an amazing environment for people who maybe are on the fence or who don't believe yet to come and experience God. Because the bottom line is that God created every single human heart to be filled with God and to experience Him and to worship Him. And when, some, when people finally see the real thing, it's a very moving experience. That's what happened with our prisoners. They were so moved by the worship, by the praise, by the praying that enabled Paul and Silas to be overcome with joy and to overcome their circumstances that they wanted to hear about this God of heaven and earth. How do I know that? Am I just reading that into the text? I don't think so. Because when the, when the earthquake came and the prison foundation shook and the prison doors flew open, guess what? The prisoners stayed. It was their opportunity to run, to flee, to kill a few bodies on the way out. And they don't do that. They stay. Paul can say with certainty to the jailer, hey, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. And so when the jailer comes running in to Paul and Silas, he knows that this God that Paul and Silas have preached have done something incredibly powerful. And so he falls at their feet trembling. And he says... What must I do to be saved? And so we see the Spirit liberating through worship and praise. We see the Spirit liberating through people, prisoners, who are hearing the word of the Lord spoken. And lastly, we hear the Spirit of the Lord liberating through miracles. There's nothing like a good old-fashioned miracle to strike a heart in an unbelief, to strike fear in an unbelieving heart. That was the case in our story today of the jailer. The jailer, I think, was a crusted over, cruel, brutal person. He threw them into the stocks and he threw them in the inner parts of the jail. He was a hard cookie. 
And it took a miracle for his heart to change. Maybe some of you in here have been like that. Maybe you came to Christ through a miracle. You had to actually see God work in a powerful way. Maybe some of you are praying for a miracle for somebody else so that their heart will change. God still works through miracles to change the human heart. But here's what I want us to notice because this is a theme that runs through Luke and Acts. And that is when people hear the good news of Jesus and they respond to it and their hearts soften, they change their behavior. You don't just hear people just believing. You hear people believing and then acting, changing their behavior. The jailer, when, they, when he accepted Jesus into his heart, what did he do? He took Paul and Silas and he washed their wounds, it says. And then he took them into his house and he set a meal before them. And Luke make note, makes note that they were filled with joy because he was filled with joy because he had not believed in God. And faith in God caused him great joy and he and his entire family were saved. So, there may be some of you here this morning that obviously, thank goodness, you're not in jail. You're here with us, worshiping. But you may feel like you're in jail. You may feel like you're incarcerated. I don't know. You may be in a dead-end job that you really don't like, but you need to keep doing it in order to support your family. Or maybe you've been struggling with an addiction and you've tried to break this addiction on your own and nothing's happening. You genuinely want to stop and it ain't happening. Or maybe in your heart you have hurt and the hurt has welled up to anger and the anger has turned into bitterness and resentment. And so it's messing up your relationships and your life and it's scarring your soul. And so you're in a bit of an incarceration this morning because of your own bitterness. You know, we can look at the example of Paul and Silas and draw some truth and understanding that can help us if you're feeling at all incarcerated today. If you ever do a study in Luke and Acts and you look at every time Luke uses the term filled with the Spirit, he will often also, you'll often see the term filled with joy. When people are filled with the Spirit, joy begins to overflow in their life. Joy, of course, we know is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc., etc., Joy is a byproduct of the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life. Joy gives us strength to overcome adverse circumstances. Nehemiah knew this, understood this principle in the Old Testament. He knew this reality. we We sang about it in the first service. We sang a song that said, The joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy brings strength. It brings power. It brings the ability for us to overcome circumstances that we would not be able to overcome in our flesh. So we see the Spirit liberating through Acts 16. The Spirit liberates through worship and prayer. The Spirit liberates through miracles. The Spirit liberates through hearing the good news. 
Today we have the, the blessing and the opportunity of hearing how the Spirit has liberated one of our own. Randy Bacon's going to come up and share a little bit of his story with us this morning. So let's welcome Randy. Well, hello, my name is Randy. Hi, Randy. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I have struggled with compulsive behaviors, depression, and anger most of my life. I was raised in a Christian home. I accepted Christ when I was in seventh grade, and I was active in youth group in the church. I was a pretty good kid in high school who followed most of the rules. I had a few secrets, but who didn't? The secret shame of abuses as a child and the poor example of handling my emotions in my life would mold me as I grew. My world was further rocked when my parents got divorced. I was a junior in high school. This was the tipping point for me in using anger as my primary emotion. My relationship with God and others was strained. In college, I decided that I could be better without God and stopped attending church altogether and picked up partying coupled with smoking and having drinking. Fast forward a few years, and I met my beautiful wife. We bought a house in Gig Harbor, but not all was perfect. I was still rejecting God and used anger, smoking, alcohol, and sometimes pornography to soothe just about any stress or issue I was going through. Six years ago, I began to really struggle with depression. I began making even more destructive decisions that brought me to the lowest point I'd ever been in my life. I had made some decisions that were detrimental to my marriage and left me alone and separated from my wife and son. A few days later, I realized I had nothing left to lose. I got up on my knees, finally turning to God, and asked Him to give me grace and help me get my life back together. I started turning to God daily, seeing a counselor for my depression, and doing everything I could to clean up my life. I was no longer willing to be controlled by depression. A month later, I found out that Chapel Hill had a Celebrate Recovery program, and I started attending. Little did I know I would come to find a home at CR. Initially, I attended CR for compulsive issues. I found sobriety from alcohol abuse and my struggles with sexual compulsivity. I felt great about the changes God was making in my life, my marriage, and my relationships. My wife even started attending with me. Before our recovery, I honestly didn't think I would live past the age of 31. My destructive behavior was a mask for severe depression that I had struggled with most of my young adult life. With the grace of Jesus, I am no longer suicidal, and I have lived well past my 31-year-old death wish. I am so grateful for life, and no longer hate myself. I'm also free from the demons that would keep me awake at night. After working a step study in CR, I don't have any secrets from my wife, family, or friends. I used to have so much shame and guilt when I came to church. Now I am free, and I don't have any regrets. God's grace has covered every wrong that I have done or will do. God has saved me from compulsive worries and trying to show a good face to those around me. Recovery is a process, and I've been challenged to grow in other areas of my life. About three years ago, my wife put her foot down and said these cutting words to me. I wish you would take your anger problem as seriously as you do the other issues in your life. These words hurt, and I knew I had to give more to God to be free of this harmful habit of mine. I started the Men's Freedom from Anger group at CR and started to address the issue of anger in my life. 
Anger has been the go-to okay emotion for me for my entire life. Working on anger has been the hardest thing I've had to do. Anger has dug its hook into every part of my life. It was destroying the relationships of people I love the most. I am learning how to have healthy relationships with others. Previously, my wife and I could not trust me. My wife and children could not trust me or my responses in everyday life. My anger would cause my wife and I to have horrible and destructive arguments every few months. It has now been well over seven months since we've had one of these fights. I have made amends with my wife for my hurts to her, my struggles. I am so grateful for our restored marriage and the growth we have had together. I love being married, and I praise God for the blessing of my amazing wife. My relationship with my children has improved immensely also. I can now enjoy the time I have with my kids, and when I make a mistake, I can finally apologize, learn from it, and move on. I look forward to being a godly dad who can tell my kids about the real hurts and risks in life and how God has worked in my own life. These are just a few of the many ways that God has completely changed my life for the better. I know that I'm far from perfect, and God will continue to work in me. The work that I have done isn't easy, and I challenge you to take next steps. I pray that each of you find healing and liberation that Christ can offer. As I often say in CR, Christ didn't come to give us a new life in eternity. He came to give us a new life right now, starting today. Amen. He can make the changes, amazing changes in your life if you're willing to give it to Him and do the work to get there. I'm living proof of that. Amen.